Oh. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Yeah. I don't think we need to go over habitual sins again. Do you think? I don't think we need to go over that. I don't think we need to go over weaknesses again. But we got the point last week. And we've watched it. Abraham, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just sheer embarrassment or um, maybe it was just a real wake-up call that he, he has changed. It's like he's back where he's supposed to be in this chapter. And you can just tell. And if we are learning anything, we have to, we can't, we can't deny that it's been such a a visual, such an upfront, you can't miss it kind of thing, is when you live for the flesh, then the fruit of the flesh is going to come out, and it's never anything you want. I mean, it never takes you to the right place, and it, it is ugly. But when you are walking with the Lord, and you just are listening to him instruct and guide, and you watch how he, he solves things, and how in you he then helps you deal with difficult people, different difficult situations, and, and he keeps you where you're supposed to be so we can be the kind of testimony and witness that the world, that our families, that people need to see. So the fruit of the Spirit is just I think stunning. I think it's gorgeous when the fruit of God's spirit is coming out of us. And we went, we went through all nine, and they look so good, don't they? So now we're going to see tonight that Abraham, he, he is back where he should be. And so when we read the first, in the first verse, right away in the first verse, you know that... Um, there are two things I had you look for. What are two things that God does that you don't want to forget? No matter what it is, what you're going through, you know that. Look at now, the Lord was gracious, and that word is about as precious as they come. I mean, he he just has a way of making sure we have everything that we really don't deserve, but he makes sure he is gracious. Now, that doesn't mean that, that he doesn't make us wait, or he always gives us what we want, and, but in these, these first seven verses, I think it's just overflowing with the way he wants us to live. This is a lesson tonight on how to deal with life. We can't help it that life has ups and downs. That's just life. I was just with my aunt this afternoon for two and a half hours, and she, too, is suffering from dementia. And to try to reason with her and try to get her to understand and, and you know, not not think her kids are ganging up on her and, you know, how they just don't understand it so the kids are at fault and you would never do that to your mom and dad and you know and all this kind of thing you try to reason and it's so hard to reason 
try to tell them, you know, that, you know, now you've taken care of them for so many years. Now it's their turn to take care of you. You know, you were their parent for so many years, and now it's time for them to parent you, to care for you, you know, try to get that through. And, you know, it's not always easy to, to understand life, you know, and if you... And it's out of our control a lot of times, you know. She can't help it. She's 88. She can't help it that their dementia is setting in. You know, so much of life is out of our hands. So we need instruction on how to deal with it. So as we can't help it that, you know, there are good days in life and then there are bad days in life. It's just life. This, this chapter I saw as... The Lord understands that, and so He's He's pretty much explaining how you do how you how you deal with life. I mean, we can't help but that we go up and down, and there's good days, bad days with life. But we can help whether our spiritual life stays on an even keel. And I pray that we are learning enough that. We don't go up and down with life, with our spiritual life. So often when everything is good, oh, our walk with the Lord is great. But when, but when things take a dive, then what happens? What do we do? And many times we, our spiritual life goes down with it because we, we're thinking God's supposed to make it all better. He's supposed to make everything very good for us and that we shouldn't have to hurt and suffer and so tonight he's going to teach us how in good times yes you still should you should be praising him because every good and perfect gift we have comes from him so when there's good days you bet we should be be in tune with him because he's the giver of all this good but when we when life takes a nosedive when things happen that just kind of throw us, that that's when we too kick in that walk with the Lord and we listen to his voice who hasn't stopped talking, but then we realize that he wants to encourage us and build us up. And, and well, we're going to see like what he told Hagar to do. Lift him up. Hold his hand. And I think this is exactly what the Lord wants us to see, that we stay in that, that right relationship with him, that we dare say, Lord, I don't like this, I, I don't understand this, but I am going to trust you. And you will watch. That's what I said to my aunt today, too. I said, I don't want you to miss the joy that the Lord still has for you. You know, bitterness, and and I know she's battling with this 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 disease, but I also know that she is with it enough to know that she can make some choices. She could be joy-filled and accept this stage in life, in this nosedive of that's what she thinks this this part of her life is just a real nosedive. But to miss, in this part time, to miss the joy that the Lord still has for her. 
it's, oh, it's just fresh on my mind because I just come from that. But this is what the Lord says. There's, this is life ups, downs, but I want your spiritual walk with me to stay on an even keel that no matter what day, whatever's going on, you know who I am and my promises because that's the other one. He says, look at it. He says, um, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. See, he does come through. Now, in the meantime, he's going to make him wait 25 years, and he's going to teach him a bunch of lessons in there. Waiting isn't a waste of time. Waiting is a time where, where we just plain have to decide whether we're going to wait on the Lord. If we're going to just let him have his way and his promises will come through. Because that's another, a third thing I saw in here is that he accomplished his promise in his timing, in his perfect timing. He knows just how long to make us wait. He knows, he knows exactly what this waiting time is going to do for us, for them. So he doesn't ever miss anything. He's going to utilize everything that we're going through. So it says that Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Can you even imagine what is going on in their lives and in their hearts and and even that alone, watching God do what he said. He was gracious to these, this couple. He could have. He could have because of what they've been doing. They're back and forth, and they're, they're um, ignoring him sometime and, and, and suffering consequences. And, I mean, God could have just said, you know what? I'm going to pick somebody else. And yet he doesn't. He keeps coming back with his graciousness and his patience and, and his teaching. And he, he is going to show them through all of this. And you can tell that they're responding in such a good way because it says that Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. That's when you know he is in the right place for the Lord. Because he was listening and he was willing to remember Remember um, when when God said to Abraham, "Okay, this is going to be the the symbol. It's going to be the sign of the covenant. Every male will be circumcised." Remember Abraham, Ishmael. He had every male was circumcised, but God said, "From now on, when a male is born, eight days later." That's when he is to be circumcised. So he he listened. He remembered, and he obeyed. So this is just a good time right here. And then it says he was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. I don't mean to be silly, but you know we've talked about last week. Remember how we talked about you know Sarah had a probably had a rejuvenated body, you know. 
Well, you know, I look at this this week and I thought, way to go, Abraham. I mean, you know, he's 100 years old. They keep telling us that. So this is a miraculous birth. And, and now it says Sarah said this. Look how she's changed. I mean, we're going to see she still has a chip on her shoulder. But right now she is looking and says, God has brought me laughter. Now, look at when she laughed the first time. And she laughed all right, but it was laughter of doubt. Like, this is the most ridiculous thing. You know, here she is behind the tent flap, and she's hearing all this, and she just can't help it. But even though it wasn't allowed, she is in her mind just laughing because there's no way. She didn't know how her body was going to be able to be rejuvenated and all the right parts back where they should be and every you know all things working good you know but now she does because she experienced it and now her laughter has turned from a doubt laugh to a joy-filled laugh. In fact, she says, and everyone who hears about this. I mean, this story, this story had to be going all over town. And so she said, when everyone hears this, they will laugh with me. I mean, they will be so thrilled for me. I mean, she is experiencing, at 90 years old, she's experiencing holding a baby that's hers. And, and the people know, you know, her shame is gone. Her embarrassment is gone. And even at 90, she had to wait a long time. But she is holding that baby. It's just what God promised. And when the story is out, everybody's laughing. So I, I don't think it's, it's, I think it's perfectly fine that we laugh too. Because I think here, it's that everyone who hears about this, I think here at Central, at Central Church, at Central Wesleyan Church tonight, we can laugh because, you know, we can say things like, she got a rejuvenated body, you know, way to go, Abraham. We can laugh because it is miraculous. And it's just so awing that God can do what usually is impossible. She said, she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have bore him a child, a son, in his old age. So those first seven verses, you know, and they've been through a lot. And they know what ups and downs of life are. And they've learned what, how they act when they, they jump ahead of God and they don't enter him into the equation at all. And they think they can fix this. They know the devastation of what that did. They're learning. Now they're watching that God does do what he says. And he is gracious. And he does fulfill his promise. And he does have perfect timing. They're going to be held 
going to sell that a whole lot better now because they have watched it happen. But we have, we've experienced that. We know how gracious he's been, how he could have thrown in the towel about us too, how we, in our, in our habitual sin or weaknesses, how we you know, keep doing it, and yet he graciously comes and opens his arms out and says, confess and I will forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. And, and, you know, to know that, yes, maybe, maybe, you know, we've had to wait for things. And, yeah, even waiting for any of us is hard. We want it now, but remember that when we have to wait, it, it's so different when, when, when you when you have to wait now, when you start realizing this story and that God uses waiting, it's so much easier now to think, I wonder what he's going to teach me while I have to wait four days for a doctor to call or something like that. Just, just wait on the Lord and find that that weakness that we have for, but I want to know and watch that human nature want to come back and raise its head and take us off course, you remember, oh yes, Holy Spirit, thank you for again revealing to me what I know, that they that wait on the Lord find that their strength is renewed, and you can mount up. That's a whole lot different than sitting and, and you know, worrying and fretting and panicking. No, they that wait on the Lord find that he can replace that with strength. Strength is so perfect in our weakness. And that is just so, you know, that's why that hymn, it just resonates so much more to me now. It's like I can hear, I can hear my Savior trying to tell me in my ear, I know your strength is small, but you're my child, child of weakness. I understand that. But watch and pray, and find in me all you need. I mean, those are big words that are the truth. See how it's so important that we keep our walk with the Lord on the, on the, on the even keel so that no matter what the day brings, we know that he's there. We're reminded again and again of his graciousness, of his promises that he fulfills, and he does in his time. And it's okay to laugh. It's okay to laugh. Especially when you're laughing at the awesomeness of a God who doesn't know the word impossible. No. And then, oh, we move on, and it says, verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Now, weaning, I don't know for sure, but what I searched, I, it pretty much, it kind of, you know, most of what I saw was between the age of three and four. So, you know, he's, he's more than a toddler. You know, he's, a, he's just a, starting to be a little boy. And it said, but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. Ooh, that ruffles fat feathers for a mom. 
But this is where I noticed that, that Sarah's countenance probably shifted from the first seven verses being just so full of joy and laughter and God is so good. And, and all of a sudden now, look how she doesn't even call Hagar by her first name. Now, they, they were probably friends at one time. I mean, at least they had a decent relationship. I mean, she was, she was um, you know, taken from Egypt and became a real close confidant, probably, to Sarah. And I mean, it, enough that, that Sarah was the one that said, hey, why don't you take my maidservant? So I think they had a good rapport with each other, but boy, have things changed. Because now it says that she said to Abram, she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman. It's not your maidservant. It's you get rid of that slave woman and her son. Ew. I think you, would, you could hear her tone, can't you? And you remember, she went to Abraham, you know, after it was her idea after all, but yet she just didn't want to remember that. So she goes to Abraham, you know, when, when um, you know, the first time, because, you know, Hagar is getting a little cocky, and so she makes life miserable for, for Sarah. So Sarah goes to Abraham and says, you know, you know, get rid of her and all that. And, and what are you going to do? It's your fault. You know, blamed on Abraham. And Abraham, just in cowardness, says, you handle her. You do whatever what you want with her. Now, we have this episode. Now, it's Ishmael, probably 13, 14. He is starting to pick on her little boy. And I'm sure she's a mama who is very protective this is her only child at 90 years old. I bet she doesn't let this kid out of her sight. And so she is very well aware of what Ishmael is doing. And so she is going to get to the bottom of it. And she goes to Abraham and she says, get rid of that slave woman and her son. And then she kind of adds that who, by the way, will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Now, first I thought, whoa, she is, she is just, you know, a little, little miffed. She's um, uh, acting in the flesh. And, but God had plans, and this is where I'm starting to realize a whole different um, side to this story that I did before. Well, verse 11, Abraham, of course, he's between a rock and a hard place, right? The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Now, all of a sudden, you know, it, it is his son. For 13 years now, he has watched Ishmael grow, and it is his son. Now, we know Ishmael was a son of the flesh, and Isaac is a son of the promise. Keep that in mind, because now we're going to see, you know, he at least 
goes to God or they have a com communication because God says to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. You know, I think Abraham, for one thing, he loves Ishmael. He loves him, and it is his flesh and blood. And, and when he hears his wife so adamantly, get rid of that slave woman, he's thinking, well, where do I, where do I send her? What do I do? So he really doesn't know how to handle this so much. Like, you know, I just can't send him out to the wolves. Or I'm thinking, is he still thinking, well, you know, um, I know what God promised, and I know Isaac is, this, is, the, is the promised child, but, you know, I just better have plan B. I better keep Ishmael around just in case Isaac doesn't, you know, materialize right. I, I just, he's still, you know, like, I just kind of want to have both of them here. Both of them are mine, and I just think for peace of mind, I just got, yes, plan A, the promise one, but plan B, just in case. For whatever, whatever, I'm just, you know, kind of thinking on those terms. But yeah, look what God says. Don't be so distressed about the boy. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. And thinking, whoa, God is really given permission to say, you know, <laughs> do what Sarah says. And she's saying, get rid of her. Get rid of both of them. And I never really looked at this because I thought, why would God do that? Why would God say that? Because to me, that seemed quite mean but he does. He says, listen to Sarah, even though maybe her tone, maybe her, you know, her, her whole attitude, maybe her, her whole, um, you know, reasons for it. She is upset. But he said, no, I want you to do what she tells you to do. I want you to get rid of Sarah, Eric, Hagar, and Ishmael. I want you to get rid of them. Because that's what he's saying. Do what Sarah said. And that's what she said. So he's saying, get rid of them. Now, I had to do some pondering on this one because I thought that almost doesn't sound like the character of God. I mean, you know, but he does say, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. God is saying, you can, you can send her away because I know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make Ishmael, a great nation. So they're going to be okay. I'll take care of them. But and this is where I think we have to see the, the flesh versus the promise. Could this be that the Lord is saying to us that the two don't, you can't put the two together. And, and where I get this is when Paul says that when we come to know Jesus, when we, when we become part of the promise, because what is the gospel? It's the promise that we can be bought back, that we can be redeemed. When you become a part of the promise, 
then you have to get rid of the flesh because as Jesus said, you must deny yourself. Paul says, you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you that lives. It's Christ that lives in you. You know other verses. Old is gone. The old you is gone. The new has come. See, what he's trying to say is you, old nature and new nature cannot walk hand in hand. They will never get along. And so, you know, it is, is this an example of a uh, visual for us to say, for the Lord to say, we gotta put aside, we gotta, we gotta send him away. For for this promise line, for for this for Isaac, for the future of the line, we we look at already at 13 and 3, you're seeing trouble. And is this going to continue? Is, if they stay together, is this just going to be more and more of a problem? And I thought, well, of course, that, that's me. If I don't let myself go, if I don't, if I'm constantly toying with the flesh, and I still, I want to do both. I want to be both. I want, I want the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be listening to the Lord. But, oh, don't ask me to give up these habitual sins or these weaknesses. No, no, no. And the Lord is trying to say, it, you can't, you can't. Because I, if you try to work both of them, I guarantee you, the flesh wins. That's why Jesus said, you have to deny yourself. You have to crucify that self. It is no longer you that's living anymore. It is God that lives inside of you and who is now calling the shots. You are not in charge of your life anymore. He is. When you come to the cross and you've accepted the gospel message of Jesus and salvation, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So I think here, I think when I see God giving Abraham permission, no, no, I'll take care of them, but they don't coincide. They don't work. They won't work well together. And even, even at 13, 14, I look at Ishmael, who's just picking at his little brother. I'm thinking, you little bugger, because even he's already showing what God said about the, the, his descendants. You know, they're going to be a great nation, but, you know, they'll be brother against brother. They, they just love to fight. They just, they just don't, instead of having a compassion and a sweetness and a sincerity and a love for his little brother, he's just causing trouble. And that's not going to get better. And so God says, no, you got to separate. You got and you know it it is it is something about when we look at our own our own flesh. He's saying, get rid of it. If you really want to follow my commands and if you really want to hear my voice, then flesh has got to be put aside. You cannot think you can do both. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave him and gave them to Hagar. In fact, he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. And when I first read that, before all this whole thing about old nature, new nature, and that kind of thing, I first looked at that and I thought, that's why I knew we had to kind of look at this in a different, deeper way. Because Abraham is a man of means. 
I mean, he's loaded. And it says he, he sent them away with some food and one flask of water for two people, and they wander in the desert. You know, come on. You, you've got servants that you could send to drive the caravan and fill one of the caravans with water and food. And, and you know, you've got such material things that you can send them away, but in style. But no. See, he is going to teach Hagar and Ishmael a big lesson, too. So I don't know whether Abraham um, just did this or whether he heard God say, no, just give them some food and a flask of water and put it on her shoulder and send them off. And she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Bathsheba. When the water in the skin was gone, you know, that didn't take long. But God is up to something. Watch. She put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off, sat down nearby, and about a bow shot away, for she thought, there, you, you should have known right there, she thought, and nowhere is God in this at all. For her, in, in her, she has not gone to God at all. I don't read anything in there about going to the Lord or asking for his help. She just retreated into her self-pity and her hopelessness, and she thinks she's doomed. And before you get too upset with her, because you think, come on. Looking back a couple chapters, God told you and promised you that your child would be a great nation. How can he make a great nation out of your child when he lets him die? See, it's so easy, again, with life. When it's good, oh, man, I can remember everything God tells me. And then all of a sudden, you hit the skids, and all of a sudden, oh, here comes the worry and the panic and the fret. You just totally forget what he promised And God said, no, no, I, don't want, I want you to learn something here. So she's putting him under a bush, and she gets a bow shot away, and she says, I just cannot watch my boy die. And she sat there nearby, and look what she did. She began to sob. I mean, this is crying hard. <coughs> And when you sob, you are not just having tears roll down your face and it's a silent sorrow. She is sobbing. She is making noise. She is in agony. Yeah, look at verse 17. God heard the boy crying. Hagar's probably the one that's crying the loudest, and yet it says God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. That ought to wake her up a little bit. She hears this voice from heaven, the angel of God asked her this question, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. I mean, it would have been so easy to say, do you totally forget everything God tells you? 
but no in patience and in compassion and in, in graciousness. God has heard the boy crying, and he, as he lies there, verse 18, this is what I want you to do, Hagar. I want you to get over there, and I want you to lift him up. Lift the boy up. Take him by the hand, for I will, I will, like I've told you before, I will make a great nation from him. What an experience. What a lesson she has learned. But again, what a reminder to us. When life, which we can't control, takes us down a valley into a valley we never wanted to go, we have to really want to hear God's voice because the natural instinct is to do what's so easy, and that is worry and panic and question God and feel hopeless and discouraged and down and depressed and defeated. Need I go on? That's what the flesh will do. And when you don't enter God into the picture and you are reminded of his graciousness and his fulfillment of, of his promise, and he, he has a perfect timetable and he knows exactly what he's doing, when and why. So, isn't that what we need to hear? I mean, can you just think and watch Hagar walk over to that bush and, and take her 13-year-old and lift him up and take him by the hand? And together, he, she reminds him, nothing's going to happen to you. God promised that you will be a great nation. We are not going to die. But isn't this what God wants us to do? He wants us to sense him in our lowest times to feel him lift us up from our miry clay that puts us on the skids. He wants to gently lift us up and take us by the hand and say, whatever I'm going to bring, whatever is happening to you, I will be there. You will never walk this alone. Remember, I'm gracious. Remember, I fulfill my promise. And I have a perfect timetable, and I created you. I know exactly why I did, too. And I have a purpose in mind. And But to sense him lifting us up in all of his love, saying, oh, take my hand. Then God opened her eyes. Then God opened her eyes. And she saw, oh, she saw this well of water. But I think when her eyes, yeah, that's what she physically saw. She saw this well of water that God provided. But I think her spiritual eyes were open. And she saw all what God had promised. And don't you think when you hear that song, open my eyes, Lord? Because sometimes I shut them because I can't even deal with life right now, and I shut my eyes. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. He's my hope. 
I want to reach out and touch him and say that I love him. Open my ears, Lord. I want to listen to him because what he's saying to me is truth. And he's the one that's going to give me stamina and momentum and strength. You know, another song that I just can't help but sing at a time like this. And this is, this is all part of this lesson on how to deal with life. And that is, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Why don't you sing that with me? Let's do it one more time. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God through it all, through it all. I've learned to depend upon his word. I think that's what he wants us singing. But see, you got to learn that lesson, and that's why we need to go through some of these experiences in our own life. We need the downs because sometimes we, we when it's too good all the time we just kind of forget about him and we forget to praise him for what he has given us and then he knows he knows okay you know we're going to go in the valley but know that I'll never leave you but you're going to learn something here and what 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 we learn is that we can we can trust him and that we can depend on his word that's a pretty wonderful way to live. God was with the boy as he grew up. Just like he promised. God didn't did throw him out into the wolves. No, no, no. He, he, was, he lived, Ishmael lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert at Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. That's all we know. And really, for all intents and purposes, we know that um, Hagar and Ishmael, I mean, we really don't hear any more about them except when Ishmael comes and joins Isaac to bury their father, Abraham. But that's all. And Hagar, the only time we really hear them is when they're used as examples. Like in Galatians 4, sometimes you should just read that. It is, it's something how Paul really takes the story. And, and remember, we saw how um, Jesus even said, and don't forget Lot's wife. And Paul in Galatians 4, he's, he kind of, remember, you know, remember here. So they're used as an example of he's the son of flesh, not the son of promise. And they don't go together. There's trouble when, the, when you try to match those two up because they don't work. So really, that's the story there. 
Now, at that time, Abimelech and Thakal, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, here again, look, at people are watching, and Abimelech says to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. So it's so obvious that maybe, you know, when Abraham is walking with the Lord, you know, he is, he's probably proclaiming and worshiping God, and, and Abimelech hears that, and he sees how blessed Abraham has been and, and how, how, near, how near Abraham's God is to him. Because God is with you in everything. And that was quite amazing to him. In fact, Abimelech, it's kind of like he wants to say, I, I mean, I, I kind of want to join forces with you. You seem to have a way. He said, now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my, or my descendants. I think he's getting a little nervous of Abraham. I think he, he respects that God is in everything Abraham does, and it is so noticeable. And so he is getting a little nervous. Swear to me that you're going to be good to me, to our, my descendants, to my children, Show to me the country where you are living as an alien, the same kindness I have shown to you. Now, this, is a, this was tricky. I thought, that is a little bit of manipulation. Like, I'll be nice to you. I was nice to you, so you have to be nice to me. Because remember, last week in 20, 20 verse 15, and Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. So Abimelech gave Abraham any land he wanted. So he took this land, and he was making the most of this land. But then, you know, when Abimelech wants something for Abraham, he calls him an alien. Oh, remember, I'm the one that gave it to you. So, you know, one kindness deserves another. Well, Abraham says, okay, I swear it, you know, and, but then, this is where I think another life lesson comes in because Abraham's got a beef. He's got he's got a problem. Now, in my version is that and Abraham complained a bit. Like I don't really think he was complaining. He he was just kind of saying, maybe now's the time a bit black that I I tell you this. And I appreciate that that Abraham didn't just say, well, you know, I don't want to cause trouble, so I'm just going to let him walk all over me. I think I like the way he addresses. You know, when something is done, it has to be addressed. But Abraham does it in such a way. I mean, I mean, he should have been madder than Hobbes. I mean, you know, one of the black servants seized his well, and, and wells were important because they didn't live by rivers or or oceans, so water was a premium. And and when you had a, a portion of land, first thing you did was to, you you dug for for water. Well, I'm sure that that was not easy work, and the well was like. Um, Kind of like the pride joy. And here, here a black servant apparently just decided to seize it. And, and Abraham says, um, we better discuss this. 
I mean, he, he, he isn't out of control angry. He just says, we have to, and I thought, oh, look, at, I love the way he's handling it. He's, he's upfront about it, but his tone, his, his um, a calmness, let, let's just talk about this. Let's see what we can do. And look at Abimelech said, I didn't know a thing about it. I, I didn't know he did that. This is the first I'm hearing about it today. So I don't know whether a much more discussion went, must have been, because in verse 27, it's like they came to an agreement, and Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Now, this would have went right over my head, and I wouldn't have thought too much about it. But in chapter 15, remember when Abraham wanted proof that this land was going to be his, and then God, you know, they, he, he had those animals, and then they cut them in half, and then God walked through there. And, and whenever whenever someone walked through those those animals on each side, it meant sign, seal, delivered. There's your contract. I know it sounds strange and weird, but that's what they did. And, and maybe here it was um, Abraham maybe showing to them like, this is what we do, you know? Maybe he, he cut those animals in half and they made a path and then it said the two of them, the two of them made a treaty. So, I mean, I don't know, but I'm just thinking could very well be. Because what was the reason for the sheep and the cattle? Well, there were there were um, seven ewes also, but Abram set them apart. And Abimelech asked him, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? And Abraham said, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. It's like I want to give this to you. I want to give you these seven U's, and I'm sure they were valuable, but then I want you to admit it and say, this well is yours. You dug it. It belongs to you. And said that if the place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Problem solved. I mean, what a, what a beautiful way. See, when you're walking with the Lord, you have a way of handling difficult people and difficult situations, and you don't let them walk all over you, but say, you know what? I think there's something we better discuss. And it, it worked. I mean, I'm not saying that everything that we do then it just turns out just the way, you know. But at least there's no there's no chance of you and I saying, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Oh, man, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, my temper just got the best of me, and I did this, and I said this, and he just handled it right. When you're walking with the Lord, you know the words, and you know the tone, and you know the motive behind it, and it just works. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. 
Now, remember, when you just hear the word Philistines, don't you? You just shiver. Because you know that here, this is the promised land, but it is just loaded with Israel's enemies. And this, this had to be a real tough one of faith for Abraham. And this is why this is such a beautiful ending to the story. Because, you know, here it's land full of enemies. And in Iraq, they go back to the Philistines and and yet, ringing in Abraham's ears is, this will be your land. And it will be your descendants' land forever. He had to be thinking of that. Or he wouldn't have planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. Or he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. It was a beautiful sight. I mean, he plants this tree, and we could have left it. Like, oh, man, that was nice. I bet that will grow. It'll be pretty tree, you know. He'd not think, think of it, but that was monumental because this tamarisk tree is a slow-growing tree, and he planted that particular kind of tree knowing that he, you know, he, he won't see it, but his descendants will come back. And he knows, he, by planting that slow-growing tree, he knows that eventually all those enemies, they will have conquered, and this land will be theirs. Such a sign of faith. I believe that when God said this land will be ours forever. Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. I mean, it wasn't going to be overnight. I mean, these enemies aren't going to say, oh, you can have it. No, no, no. We know, and we're going to see it much. And then later in Exodus and, you know, in, in all the Old Testament books, I mean, it is, it is not easy. Joshua, you know, they have to fight. But right now, Abraham is showing such great faith because of that kind of tree he on purpose planted. That's what you do when you're walking with the Lord. You don't even have to, you know that you're not going to actually see it. But, you know, the promise, that's what the Old Testament is all about. It's about Jesus. It's, it's the promised, it's the promise of Jesus, the Savior. Even in the 21st chapter of Genesis. Nobody will ever convince me that the Old Testament is, is you know, I like the new because it's about Jesus and, and all that. And I'm thinking, go in the Old Testament. It's all about him. I thought tonight, you know, it's just so apropos. I, I saw in this lesson, when, when I think of Isaac and, and he being the seed of the promise. And this is what's going to start the ball rolling. You know, this is Jesus is going to come. And I thought, you know, so many times he, God will use certain people. And Isaac is one of them that he will associate with Jesus. And I have a few for you because I personally thought this was, this was quite, quite amazing. Both, both Isaac and Jesus, both, they were, they were promised. They were specially, especially promised. And 
both, both, in both situations, even though he was promised, they had to wait. Now, we know Isaac, it was 25 years. We know Jesus was promised in hundreds of years. And then, and then even after Malachi and before Matthew, 400 years of silence. And, and yet, God was making people wait until just the right time, but he would fulfill his promise. But in his time, but both Isaac and Jesus were promised. And we see that both were fulfilled. Another one, um, both of them had conceptions that were miraculous. And you think about, yeah, you know, the Lord used the regular way with Abraham and Sarah, but it was miraculous. I mean, we know Mary was, was you know, the Holy Spirit came upon her. That was miraculous. But both Isaac and Jesus, miracles. And they, both of them, both of their mothers were given such great assurance. Because, you know, I don't care if it was Sarah or Mary, it was just hard to fathom. So when, when God told Sarah, but, but watch the difference. When God told Sarah, we watched her doubt. But eventually, eventually she, you know, she understands and she learned valuable lessons. Now we have Mary who, you know, she didn't doubt, she had questions. But you still watch her and, and God says to her, or Gabriel says to Mary, the spirit will come upon you. Because when she said, I don't know how this is supposed to be, you know, it doesn't, my mom taught me, and I, it's not working the way. And, and so it was just such an innocent, but yet a question. And he said, the spirit will come on, uh, over you. And her next words were, well, then may it be, as you say, you know, such a willing vessel. She has no but she has no understanding of what you know what that means. The spirit will come on you. You would you know when will that be? Will I feel it? You know how will I know? You know she has a bazillion questions going through her mind, and yet instead of asking them, she just says, "May it be as you say." But in both cases, both mothers were very much assured. Another one was in the comparison with Isaac and Jesus. They came at the appointed time. And the last one I thought was, this is just to me so beautiful. Both births came with such joy, with such great joy. I mean, we saw tonight the way um, Sarah said, she's laughing and everybody's laughing because it's just such a miracle. But you think about the angel that came to shepherd boys and said, be not afraid, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then there were multitudes of angels praising God. And, you know, you just think the both births came with such joy. So just remember some of these just everyday lessons of life. We all need to learn how through it all we can trust him. Even, even in the toughest times, we can depend on him and his word. 
keep our spiritual lives on an even keel, walking with him through it all. What a difference I can make. So, Heavenly Father, you have a way of taking these lessons and just making them so personal. We sing songs like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Angels we have heard on high, the proclamation of our Savior was in it was to simple shepherds, we understand that, but the glory that the heavens just opened and we realized this was no small event. This has been promised for years. The Savior has come, and now we are products of this Savior. Father, as we go into Christmas season, you know, I know that that 